this morning. We're thankful to God for that. Well, as I announced this morning, uh, this evening, we're going to kick off a brand new series of messages that I'll be preaching on Sunday evenings, and I'm not certain exactly how many there might be. I'm going to say seven or eight messages in this series. But we're going to begin tonight, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll be speaking each week about the devil's dangerous devices. And tonight, I just simply want to basically introduce our thoughts. You might want to think of the message as an extra-long introduction to the series. Uh, I don't have three points and a poem, and so there is no outline to follow. I'll be reading several verses of Scripture and uh, a few quotes along the way. And I hope that whenever you put it all together, it'll be something that is... uh, It'll be helpful as we continue the study and look at the different devices of the devil over the next several weeks. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at verse 11 of chapter 2, where Paul says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, in its context, keep in mind that he is speaking to the church in regards to a man in the church that had uh, had an illicit affair with his stepmother. That's introduced to us back in the first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. It talks about that and Paul instructing the church that, look, this is something you've got to do something about. One of the hardest, most difficult things that a church has to deal with is the matter of church discipline knowing when to do it, how to do it, and there's so many issues involved in it. But yet, at some point in time, in certain situations, it's something that absolutely has to be done. And in this case, uh, this is a family in the church, and this man is having an affair with his stepmother, and everybody knows about it. It's not something that's hid in a corner. It's not something that's secret. Everybody knows about it. Something has to be done about it. And Paul gives them scriptural instructions in how to deal with the issue. But between the first letter and this letter, we find that evidently, evidently the steps that the church had taken had been profitable and that this man had repented. And so Paul said in verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. And so he urges them, verse number 10, he says, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, for Uh, uh, forgave I it in the person of Christ. So he's teaching them that uh, although sometimes we have to take very strict and stern steps in regards to sin, that we ought to extend forgiveness for those who sin. 
And then we have the text, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Now, in, in the context there, you now know what that's talking about, but that applies to absolutely any and every area of our life when we talk about Satan and his devices. The Christian life is challenging. I mean, we are called to live above our own ability. We're called to live a life that demands our best effort plus a miracle. God is not going to do it without us making an effort. And even though we make our best effort, that's never enough unless God intervenes and enables us to do what He requires us to do. It is so demanding... I'm talking about the Christian life being so demanding that it is likened unto a warfare. And whenever you're at war, you either either overcome or you are overcome. And it's the same way in our Christian life. We either overcome or we will be overcome. We either win or we lose is what I'm trying to say. Now... Our text, of course, is written by Paul, and it's written out of his deep concern for the welfare of this church. And every pastor, I think, can identify with how Paul must have been feeling, because any pastor worth his salt has a great concern for the church. And seeing people uh, whose lives are destroyed because Satan gets an advantage of them, it's one of the most heartbreaking things in all of the world. And it literally tears a pastor's heart out when you see people fall by the wayside. You see the destructive power of Satan in their life. And so uh, I know how Paul felt, and at the same time I have to say, I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been in his shoes to have been in his place and the experiences he went through. Uh, turn over to chapter 11, the same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I just want to just give you a few tidbits as to the difficulties that he encountered in the ministry. Verse 1, he says, Would to God you would hear, uh, bear with me a, a, a little in my folly, and indeed bear, uh, bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And therefore it is no no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Verse 21, I speak as concerning reproach. As though we had been weak, howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, he's making reference here to those false teachers that had belittled him, and they, you know, had put him down in every possible way, and so he is speaking, uh, you call it sarcastically or whatever, but he's he, he is saying that, you know, if they've got any reason to boast, he says, I've got more reason to boast. So he said, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. 
Uh, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Notice, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off of the Jews. Five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That's why I say I can't hardly imagine what it would have been like to have been in Paul's shoes. To think about the heavy load that man carried and then, uh, and then his great concern, his heartbreak whenever he would hear of the problems in some of these churches. And so what God did through him was amazing. Now, I mention all of that for this reason, because if, if Paul could succeed, so can we. Paul was just a man. He's not some supernatural spiritual being. He, he was just a man and, and just a human being like we are. And, and, and if God could enable him to be victorious, the same thing can happen to us also. The same God who sustained him can also sustain us. And so the next few weeks, we're going to look at these dangerous devices of the devil. And sadly, there are a lot of folks that have never even really stopped to think and to study about these devices of Satan that lead to defeat and to destruction. So I urge you, pay close attention and, and prepare yourself to, for the attacks because mark it down, they're coming. There's no way that you as a Christian can avoid these attacks by Satan. No possible way. General Douglas MacArthur many years ago wrote an article and I as soon as I saw it I jotted it down because I never wanted to forget it he said and the title of the article is requisites for military success and he said uh, that there are four ingredients necessary to win any battle morale strength supply and knowledge of the enemy and of that last ingredient, he said, quote, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential for victory. Another person, Sun Tzu, and every person that has been in the military here has no doubt heard of him and probably read his little book. It's called The Art of War. I have a copy of it in my office. I've read every word of it all the way through. Although it's speaking about war in the secular sense, it has nothing to do with Christianity and spirituality whatsoever, yet it's very instructive when it comes to how we deal with one another during conflicts, and it gives us some insight. And he makes this statement. He says, all warfare is based on deception. All warfare is based on deception. That was Paul's concern about this church. He said, I am afraid, I fear that, that the devil is going to deceive you just like he deceived Eve. Now remember, 
Deception is just one of the devil's devices. We'll talk about that in another message. But that's only one of the devil's devices. And so tonight we just want to look at the big picture, so to speak, and lay the groundwork for those other sermons in this regard. The word devices simply means the mind. It has to do with the thoughts, the thoughts of the devil or the purposes of the devil. Or maybe the best way to describe it is to use the word schemes. The schemes, the thoughts of the devil. And he says, we are not ignorant of those. Now, you know, he says we're not ignorant of them, and mark it down, there are some people who are ignorant of them, but they need not be because God has given us the, the information we need so we can know what to expect when Satan attacks. A writer way back uh, many years ago, in fact, he died in 1836 by the name of, of Charles Simeon, I'd never really heard much of him, he, but he had uh, written commentaries on different books of the Bible, and, and I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, a man that had made a great impact on Christianity, said of all of the writers, he's the one that he depended upon the most. And so I thought, well, you know, uh, maybe, maybe that fellow's got something important to say. And so, uh, and, and keep in mind, when you read... Uh, from these old writers 200 years ago, you got to understand it's not always easy reading, but boy, is it ever enlightening because those men spent their lifetime studying the Word of God. And Charles Simeon said this uh, about uh, the devices of the devil, quote, This is great beyond all that we are able to conceive. I doubt whether the sands upon the seashore form such a countless multitude as do the devices of this great adversary. There is not a person of any age or in any condition or under any circumstances for whom he is not devices peculiarly fitted. For every successive variation in their circumstances, he can in an instant adapt his temptations and so modify them to the occasion as to give them the greatest possible influence over the mind of his victim. It's just another way of saying when we talk about the devices of the devil, it is so far beyond our ability to comprehend that we need to understand what we are up against. And as MacArthur said, we have to know our enemy. And uh, so we're talking about more than our mind can comprehend, and that ought to alert us as to the great need in our life. And I love what Simeon said about Satan's ability to adapt and have different variations of temptation. And I've often said, you know, what's tempting to one person isn't a bit tempting to other people. And what is tempting to you at one particular time in your life won't be at some other time in your life. And Satan is able to adapt the temptation to make it most appealing to you at that moment. So, we could go on and on and on talking about this, but the point is I want you to be aware of it so that you can be on guard against those devices. He said we are not ignorant of his devices, plural. Now remember, he's speaking as an apostle. 
He's speaking as a believer. He's speaking as a Christian. And so the same thing could be said of all Christians that that God has divulged the devices of the devil in the Bible. We have the information. We ought to be well aware of what we're up against. I think that's why Paul started his first letter as he did. If you'll turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this sort of sets the tone for what Paul is trying to accomplish. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 3. He says, Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. In other words, there's evidence that you've really been saved and so forth. God is, is providing for you the graces, the gifts, the things that you need to minister. And notice verse 7, so that ye come behind in no gift. You're not lacking in any of the spiritual gifts, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye are called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. You see, this was the heartbreaking news that Paul had received. Here was this church that come behind none of the other churches in its spiritual gifts, its great opportunities. They had everything they needed to be the great church God wanted them to be. And Paul said, but I've learned that there are divisions among you. The church is divided. And it certainly was. And he deals with that issue. Have you ever thought about all of the things that God wants to do for with and through this church, the church that you're a member of, what God wants to do for it, with it, and through it. And I feel certain that our faithful members have thought about that. They've thought about the fact that we want to see souls saved and baptized, and we want to see them develop into disciples, and we want to see missionaries sent out and churches start and the church here grow and the influence spread. And we want to see all of that. Well, let me tell you, As much as you want to see it, Satan doesn't want it to happen. And he's going to do everything in his power to stop it from happening. If he can prevent it, he will. So I say that because we are literally in a fight for our lives. And warfare is an ugly thing, by the way. There's always something or always someone trying to stop us, trying to hold us back, trying to defeat us. And, you know, somebody says, well, I just want to be a part of church where there's never any problems. Well, uh, that's just not going to happen. Because if a church is doing what it should, you mark it down, there are going to be difficulties that we have to deal with. And the point is that we can't just sit back and, and hope that we succeed. 
And that, that's the, the easy way out, but that's a sure way to defeat. Well, I, I just hope we have more souls saved. I, I hope the church grows. I hope we can do more missionary work. I hope, I hope, I hope, and yet, and yet we do nothing to make it happen, you see. It takes our prayer, it takes effort on our part, and extreme care on our part, as we'll see later. So we have to contend with spiritual forces. And Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians chapter 6. And he tells us in verse 11 and 12 that, that, that we're not at war with flesh and blood. That, that's not where our enemy is. But we are in a spiritual conflict. And consequently, we have to protect ourselves by putting on the armor of God. In this Second Corinthians chapter, look at chapter ten for just a moment. In verse number three, Second Corinthians ten verse three says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Certainly, we shouldn't. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let me tell you, that's a tall order for people with a short attention span. And since all of the issues of life proceed from the heart, our thoughts control our lives, and so unless we have the mind of Christ, we're going to go astray. And that's why he talks about casting down the imaginations and those things that are contrary to the will of God. Our mind, our will, and our emotions have to be under the control of Christ or we'll be out of control. The point is our inner life dictates what our outer life will be. If it's not right, then the outside, our overt activities are going to be wrong. So we need to understand what we're up against. And at the same time, I doubt that we really do. Try as we may, I still doubt that we really understand what we're up against because none of us can really comprehend the complexity of the conflict that we're engaging in. The best that we can do is what Paul said in Ephesians 6:12. you know, that we're in this spiritual warfare. So we can know that much that, you know, we're not battling flesh and blood, but we're in a spiritual warfare and, and the knowledge of that is very helpful. Just knowing that fact does several things to help us. It frees us from, from unnecessary human conflicts. Wouldn't it be really good if we could totally eliminate all of the conflicts between people? No conflicts anymore. I mean, there wouldn't be any more war. There wouldn't be any more divorces. There wouldn't be any more church splits to eliminate all of those conflicts. And so that would be ideal, but it would, it would enable us to, to get rid of the hostility that is in our heart toward other people. It would enable us to turn the other cheek as the Lord tells us to do. It would enable us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us and do good to those that hate us and pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us and forgive those for their offenses against us. That would solve a world of problems if we just understood that he or she is not my enemy. 
that Satan is using them. They are a tool, so to speak, but they are not my enemy. They're taken captive by the devil at his will if they're unsaved. And even if they are saved, they're not our enemy. And we need to view them as such. And, and our social order, our human happiness depends upon our relationship with God. And with most people, there is a disconnect between them and, 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 and God. And consequently, their relationship with other people is not going to be what it ought to be. It, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just understood we're in a spiritual warfare Whatever they did, however bad that it was. Now, that doesn't mean that they get a free pass. It doesn't mean they're not accountable to God. It doesn't mean what they did was right. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means that in dealing with the issue that we're dealing with an unseen spiritual enemy instead of that person because we're not going to solve the problem by just trying to get rid of the fruit of the problem we got to get to the root of the problem and that is a spiritual issue but one of the horrible things about about this whole matter is that whenever we suffer defeat we cripple the church we cripple the church think about it we are members of the Lord's body. I'm talking about those that are members of a particular church. And that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 where he says we're all members of one body. He's not speaking about some universal, invisible, so-called church that nobody has ever seen. He's not talking about the family of God there. He's talking about a local, visible church just as this church is. And he said we're members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles and so forth, and he just describes that and then he points out the fact that we all have different functions to perform in the church that we don't all do the same thing every member is not a pianist every member is not a drummer every member is not a preacher every member is not a deacon we all got different functions to perform but being a member of the body what one member does affects the entire body. That's why Paul was so adamant in having them deal with this issue of the man having an affair with his stepmother. It's more than a matter of just trying to right a wrong. It's a matter of trying to preserve the integrity of a church and its witness and its testimony there in that community. Now, if what I... What I do in any way cripples, that is, hinders this church, that becomes an extremely serious matter. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and uh, for those people that just don't think anything at all about stirring up problems in a church, listen to this. He says in verse 16, know ye not that ye, uh, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the church of God at Corinth. That's what he says in the very first chapter. He writes this letter under the church of God at Corinth. So now he says, ye, that's who he's talking to, this church. Ye are the temple of God. And that would be true of every church as individual churches. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, here it is. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. 
Man, whenever somebody sets out to stir up problems in a church and they hinder the church, they are, they're putting their life on the line. God is letting us know right up front, I will not tolerate that. My church is to be a holy temple unto the Lord. It's my body and it's my bride. And he says, I will not tolerate that. It's holy unto the Lord. We need to think about that before we do anything that's going to generate dissension in the church. Whether it's gossip, whether it's just slander or whatever it is, we better be careful about harming the Lord's church. So keep in mind now, I'm just trying to introduce to you the message about these devices that we're going to talk about later. We don't have time to do a study of any of these scriptures that I've mentioned tonight. I just want you to understand that spiritual warfare is a serious subject and, and, and it does a lot of harm if we let the devil get the advantage of us. We look at the Bible and we see the commands that God has given to us. We see the counsel that God has set before us. We see the example of the early church. And as I look at that, I can't help but wonder to myself, what in the world has happened to God's people today? Now, I'm talking about Christendom in general. I'm talking about churches in general. Why, why are we so unconcerned? Why is there so little commitment today? Why, why is there no real sense of urgency today like there was in the early church? Why is there such a wide gap between what the Bible demands and what we do? You know, it's no wonder the world doesn't believe our message if you've been around church very long and if you've tried to witness to your neighbor, if you've gone on visitation and knocked on doors, you'll know the number one excuse that people use is, well, I don't go to church anymore. There's just too many hypocrites in the church. And sadly, they're right. If there was one, that would be one too many. There, there is too much hypocrisy in the church. And we need to understand that whatever it is that we do as a member of the church, that it is a reflection upon the church and that's a reflection upon Christ. And that's going to have an effect on other people. And that's why someone many years ago said, you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. They'll never pick up a copy of God's Word and, uh, and, and, and read it for themselves, but they are reading your life. And whenever you allow Satan to get advantage of you, when you fail in this spiritual battle against the devil, not only does it hurt you, but it disrupts the unity, the harmony between you and others. It destroys your relationships. That cripples the church. And that, in turn, ruins our testimony before others. We preach about God's glorious grace, His wonderful ways, His precious promises, His perfect power. But if our practice does not match our message, it's all in vain. We boast about Almighty God, and yet so many times we live defeated lives. We sing onward Christian soldiers, but we don't act like soldiers. We sing the little kids at least sing the little chorus, I'm in the Lord's army. But boy, I'll tell you from what we see for the most part, 
it is the most pitiful example of an army that there ever was. In the Lord's army, are you kidding me? I mean, we're, you know, we don't think of ourselves being on the battleship. We think about ourselves being on a cruise ship, having a good time. And it's a pitiful example before a world that's dying and going to hell. We're unaware, we're unprepared, we're uncommitted, we're unwilling and seemingly unconcerned because all around us there are those that are dying without Christ and yet on the whole there's very, very little effort made to win them to Christ. And then we wonder why churches are closing at a record rate. That's true. Year after year after year, each denomination and fellowship and convention and what have you, they all keep track in some way best they can of how many conversions, how many baptisms, and, and how many churches and how many churches are started and how many that close. And sadly, year after year, it's a record number of churches closing their doors, totally disbanding and going out of business how sad that is here in america we saw that in europe many years ago 50 years ago i used to say over and over and over again if you want to know where we're headed just look at europe look at europe and see what's going on there and that's us in just a few years and sadly that has been the case Church after church closing its doors, and it all goes back to this matter of our personal responsibility as members of the Lord's church and our failure, you see. So some way we've got to get it in our heads that we are at war because the average Christian is losing instead of winning. And they need to remember what MacArthur said, in war there is no substitute for victory. You don't go over there just to fight for a few years. You go over there to win. And if you're not going to, if you're not going to win, you're certainly going to lose. Dr. Walter Martin, he was a physician and a preacher both in Kansas City for many, many years. And Dr. Martin used to say people who walk around in the middle of a war acting as if there was no war are called casualties. That's right. We can pretend that all is well. We can pretend that we're not in this spiritual warfare. But if that's the case, we are a casualty of it. And that's the problem with a lot of folks. They are defeated and they don't even know it because they believe they're doing just fine when in reality they're not. They're convinced that they're living a normal Christian life. And don't understand that there's a big difference between normal and average. They measure their spirituality by the crowd, by other people. That's exactly what they do. They fit in with the church. And, you know, as long as they are as good or a little bit better than everybody else in the church, then in their mind, I'm all right. And then we have new converts and we have children that grow up in the church with that mindset because they come to understand what is supposedly expected of Christians by what they see in us. I'm, when I say us, I'm talking about the older Christians, those that have professed Christ for many years. And so they look at us and, and so many are content with just being average. Well, 
As I've often said, you could be in a cancer ward in the hospital where everybody's going to die within 30 days, and you could be the best patient in there, in better shape than anyone else in there, but just your, you know, your average among them. That doesn't make you normal. It's not normal for you to be dying of cancer or heart disease or whatever it is. Don't content yourself just because you're a better sinner than other sinners. That's not the point. God expects much more out of us than that. And so complicating this whole thing of us being content with not being what we ought to be is the fact that so many people today want nothing more than a pep talk. They want to be reassured that everything is okay when it's not. Somebody wrote a book several years ago called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Biggest bunch of nonsense there ever was. You're not okay. I'm not okay because I'm not like Jesus yet. And the sad thing is there are liberal preachers who will give them exactly what they want instead of what they need. You see, these folks resent reality. That's why they don't want any preaching that's going to get on their toes. They don't want any preaching that's going to make them feel uncomfortable. You know, they'd rather have someone lie to them instead of, and you know, make them feel good about themselves than somebody to tell them the cold, hard facts of reality. You know, they want you to be optimistic. I like that preacher because he has got a positive attitude. He's always optimistic. But let me tell you, optimism isn't always helpful. If you've never studied the Stockdale Syndrome, you need to do that because it's the optimists that so often die because they don't face the facts, the reality of the situation. So just... Believing the best about yourself doesn't make you any better. Norman Vincent Peale wrote that book, you know, The Power of Positive Thinking. And and somebody else really said the same thing many years ago, and they wrote the little poem, The Little Engine That Could. I think I can, I think I can. Well, just because you think you can or you think you're good enough doesn't mean that things are as they ought to be. We're in a spiritual warfare against Satan, and none of us, none of us is everything that we could be or everything that we should be, and we won't be as long as we're on this earth. But we ought to be making progress in that direction, growing more and more like Christ. So let me try to sum all of this up, because now you're probably wondering, what in the world am I supposed to do with all of this information? You know, How am I supposed to respond? So let me give you the short answer. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 Peter says, be sober. He's not talking about, you know, uh, no alcohol. It has have nothing to do with uh, being drunk. He's talking about being serious-minded. Be sober, be vigilant. That is awake and alert and on your tiptoes and looking out. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, I'm not going to try to study those verses tonight, but I want to just hit the highlights because this has to do with how we ought to respond to the reality that we're in a spiritual warfare. The first thing I want to say is that you are a target. You are a target. 
Satan has set his sights on you. He is intent on destroying you, and you better believe that or you are doomed to failure. Notice how Satan is pictured here as a beast, as a lion stalking its prey. He's determined to devour us. And notice he says that we are to what? Resist. Notice he doesn't say we're to fight. He doesn't say we are to strive against him. I mean, man is no match for a lion. We wouldn't stand a chance fighting a lion, would we? Not without God's intervention, we wouldn't. And so he is using this picture to help us understand what we're up against. And we are to resist him. We are to defend ourselves against him, not attack him. I hear some of these preachers, and I'll be a bit kinder than I was last week, I guess. I'll not name any denominations or anything, but you hear some of them talk about taking authority over the devil. I almost had two articles I almost uh, copied and sent out uh, this week, and I, I just decided not to. But one of them had to do with this preacher that had declared that the COVID thing was over, that he had, he, had, he had taken charge of it, and it is over. He had expelled it. We don't have anything to worry about. That was some months ago. And another one who was in the hospital, in the hospital suffering a grave illness in the hospital trying to promote that same kind of mindset to people. Why? Well, because there are some people that will believe anything. Have you ever watched any of these catfish stories? I'm not talking about Bill dancing fishing. I'm talking about where someone is taking advantage of someone else that they've never met. And there are those, for example, there will be Someone uh, in Africa could, could be a lot of different places. It is a lot of different places. And they'll use the Internet to contact someone or people to get on one of these dating sites and they'll meet their dream boat. They don't realize that whoever it is they're communicating with has stolen the identity of this person. They're not even seeing the real picture. And these relationships will go on for years and years and years. And some people have sent literally millions of dollars to people that they've never met before because they so badly desire what it is. That person will write back and say, me love you. Yeah, me love you. Stuff like that. Somebody asked them, asked them, why, why is it that you go ahead and you don't correct the grammar whenever you do these things? And they said, because we know if we can get a response with the grammar so incorrect, we know we've got a fish on the line. We know we've got somebody we can bleed dry. And the sad thing is, there is a multitude of people in the world today that are absolutely just as gullible as those people that get catfished. People that will believe anything because why? Uh, that preacher has such a charming personality or, or just look how successful he is. He lives in a multi-million dollar mansion and he has all of these designer clothes and that's what I want. I'll, I'll, I'll give him my disability check I'll send it in every month just, you know, because I want what he's got and he promised I could have it. How sad it is. 
So he says we are to resist Satan. That means we've got to take some action. We're not fighting him directly because we're no match, but we have to resist. So now you're thinking, well, okay, how do we resist? I'm glad you asked because Paul knew you would, and he gave us the answer. He tells us by being, notice, steadfast in the faith. That means to be firm in the faith. And that phrase in the faith is not talking about our confidence in God. It's speaking about the body of truth that we believe. It's talking about the Word of God. Being steadfast in the Word of God, the body of truth that we Christians believe. We're to be steadfast in that. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you see, it does make a difference what we believe, folks. Maybe you're thinking, well... But how does that help? You know, just even though we're orthodox in the faith, I mean, we've got it nailed down. We've crossed all of the T's and dotted all of the I's. We know what we believe is right. Well, that's well and good. How do we know that's going to be of any help? Well, it helps because it is through our knowledge of the faith that we are able to increase our faith. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So as we increase our knowledge of, of the faith, the body of truth, the Word of God, that builds up our faith. And that's the way we overcome Satan. By faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible for us to win this warfare that we're involved in. So let me close by giving you a word of encouragement. And, uh, and I, I'll just get right to it because, and, and Paul deals with this issue, or Peter does, where he tells us here in verse number 9, and he's talking about these attacks that we go through and the and, and the, the devil is a roaring lion. But notice the last part of verse 9. He says, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in you, brethren, that are in the world. And in other words, he's saying there are others who have gone through the same thing. In other words, don't think that you have been singled out as Satan's only target because you're not going through anything that other Christians haven't already gone through and that ought to encourage us not the fact that they've had to go through that but the fact that we're not the only ones and we can look at the example of those who went through the same thing and that they were victorious and that helps us Turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, I want to close with these verses here. Hebrews chapter 11, that great faith chapter. And I want you to notice beginning in verse number 32. And Paul says, And what shall I more say? But the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Japheth, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith. Notice what they did. They subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were they made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the, the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured. Get this, 
They were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. In other words, they refused to compromise the Word of God in order to avoid the persecution. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder and were tempted and were slain with the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. And all and, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they without us should not be made perfect." Why does Paul close that way? Well, we've looked through that entire faith chapter at how necessary faith is to our, to our victory over the devil. There's an old song that says, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and it sure is. And then he just enumerates by giving us these many examples. They did it. You can do it. We don't have to live a defeated life. In Christ, we are more than conquerors, the Bible says. Amen? Amen. We can win because we're fighting. Listen, and I'm through, I promise. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from the victory. Christ has already won the victory. We're just fighting from that, knowing that in the end, we win. Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again tonight for the privilege to assemble here. We know that around the world there are churches and Christian people that are deprived of the privilege that we enjoy. And Lord, we, we just thank you for being able to see our brothers and sisters in Christ, to spend time with them, and especially to be able to share the Word of God. And I pray tonight that you'll take your word and challenge our hearts. Awaken us, Lord, to the situation that we're in. May we, each one, leave here tonight better informed. May we realize that more than ever before that we are in a spiritual warfare. We so many times look around and wonder what in the world is wrong with the world. And Lord, help us to realize it's exactly what you said would happen. And we know that through the strength that only you can provide, that victory is possible. So may we not be discouraged. May we not get distraught over the difficulties of life, but may we indeed resist the devil and win the victory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. While we sing.